the headlines tonight. Naval guppy swallows HMS Java whole. London ablaze as German fireflies dance. And DeMille rolls camera. Hollywood rolls dice on Squaw Man. Plus, coming up, we ask if Napoleon could have won Waterloo with a hovercraft. Those are the headlines. Now marinate in that new stew. News Bang, where the satirical meets the ceremonial in a dance of decibels. 1812. In a nautical kerfuffle that's got the high seas higher than ever, the USS Constitution, affectionately dubbed Old Ironsides for her uncanny ability to bounce cannonballs off her hull like they were spitballs, has nabbed herself a British frigate. HMS Java, now decidedly more decaf after her capture in 1812, found herself in American hands faster than you can say tea party. The three-hour aquatic tussle saw more action than a night at Madame Fifi's finishing school for young gentlemen. The Americans hailed their victory with all the pomp of a 4th of July parade, while across the pond, British admirals choked on their crumpets. But let's spare a thought for HMS Java, captured by the Brits only to be pinched by the Yanks. She's seen more turnovers than a bakery. And as for old Ironsides, she's still afloat today, no doubt smirking at modern ships that rust at the mere mention of salt water. A 1940s. In a dazzling display of pyrotechnics gone Pete Tong, the Luftwaffe has decided to give London a fiery makeover. The Blitz, or as we like to call it, the unrequested urban renewal programme, has turned the city into an impromptu bonfire party, with St Paul's Cathedral playing the role of an oversized marshmallow on the verge of a good toasting. Amidst the cacophony and chaos, one East End resident was heard shouting, Oi! Who ordered the flaming skyline? My washing's out! As his smalls were gently crisped by the ambient heat. Meanwhile, local pigeons, those feathery spectators of urban strife, have been seen donning tiny helmets and taking cover in what can only be described as avian air raid precautions. And let's not forget dear old St Paul's, surviving yet another historical scuffle with just a bit of smudge on its dome. A true British stiff upper lip if ever there was one. In an astonishing display of American ingenuity, Cecil B. DeMille, the man with more initials than sense, has decided to make moving pictures that actually move. The year is 1913 and Hollywood is just a twinkle in the eye of Los Angeles, but DeMille has set out to make it the flickering star on America's dirty sidewalk. His first film, The Squaw Man, promises more drama than a tea party at the Boston Harbour. Shot in what can only be described as a wooden shack masquerading as a studio, DeMille has turned Hollywood into a veritable playground for grown men in costumes and women in distress. With 70 feature films under his belt by 1958, some say he invented American cinema. Others say he simply had too much time on his hands. But one thing's for certain, without Cecil B, movies might just have stayed still forever. News Bang, where the rubber of reality hits the road of ridicule. And now, for a glimpse into the atmospheric conditions awaiting us as the clock ticks towards the new year, here's Shakanaka Giles with the weather forecast. Tomorrow, as we teeter on the brink of the new year, expect a frosty reception from Mother Nature herself 
in the highlands. It'll be colder than a snowman's handshake up there, with icicles sharp enough to pick a lock. Down in London town, a chilly wind will sweep through the streets like a mischievous poltergeist with a penchant for nipping noses. And for those venturing out to celebrate early, wrap up snug as a bug in a rug. It's going to be brisker than a penguin's pantry. Over in the valleys of Wales, rain will patter down like nature's own firework display, albeit a wet one. So keep your brollies skyward. In summary, frosty highlands, cheeky winds and drizzly valleys. Stay warm and carry on. And that's all the weather. A 1940s. Turning back the pages of history to 1940, London stands under a sky ablaze as the Luftwaffe's relentless night raid ignites a modern inferno reminiscent of the Great Fire of 1666. The city's silhouette punctuated by flames and smoke, St. Paul's Cathedral itself touched by the incendiary wrath of war. As the Blitzkrieg carves its name into the annals of time, we are reminded of the indomitable spirit that rose from the ashes. For more on this pivotal moment in history, we go to Brian Bastable. The skies above are ablaze with the fury of a thousand suns as the Luftwaffe, that monstrous airborne beast, unleashes its hellish brood upon this ancient city. London, cradle of empires, now writhes under the relentless pummeling of German bombs. The very cobblestones cry out in agony as history itself is set aflame. St. Paul's Cathedral, that stoic symbol of British resilience, stands defiant even as the incendiaries claw at her venerable dome. The night is torn asunder by the cacophony of destruction. Buildings once proud now stand broken and weeping ash. Amidst this maelstrom of mayhem, the indomitable spirit of Londoners flickers like a stubborn candle refusing to snuff out. Firefighters dance with death their hoses spewing forth not water, but the very essence of courage. This is no mere raid, it is an orchestrated attempt to crush a people's soul. Yet amidst the rubble and ruin, that soul burns brighter, each bomb inadvertently fanning the flames of resistance. As I stand here bearing witness to this cataclysmic symphony, one cannot help but marvel at the grim ballet unfolding. For every structure that crumbles, tenacity rises from the dust, a testament to human defiance in face of overwhelming odds. Brian Bastable, Newsbang. 1975. In a harrowing echo from the past, we're reminded that on this day in 1975, tragedy struck LaGuardia Airport in New York City. An explosion, merciless and indiscriminate, claimed 11 lives and left 74 others marred by injury. The spectre of the unknown assailants lingers, a grim testament to a year besieged by terror. LaGuardia, a bustling hub for the city's dreams and departures, became instead a scene of nightmares. For more on this dark chapter in history, we turn to Ken Shit with his report. Ladies and gentlemen, strap in as we rewind the clock to 1975 a year that witnessed the kind of horror that makes you question humanity. LaGuardia Airport, New York City, a place where dreams are supposed to take flight, became a goddamn slaughterhouse when an explosive device detonated, turning the terminal into a war zone. 
Eleven souls were snatched from this mortal coil, their lives extinguished like candles in a tempest. Seventy-four others were maimed, scarred for life by an act of cowardice so profound it could sink the spirit of Lady Liberty herself. The blast echoed through the halls of LaGuardia and the annals of history, leaving behind a crater of unanswered questions and unclaimed responsibility. Who were these faceless demons who orchestrated such carnage? The answer vanished into the same void that swallowed up any semblance of mercy or human decency they might have possessed. This was 75, when terror wasn't just knocking on America's door, it was blowing the damn thing off its hinges. And yet, here we stand, decades later, still staring into that abyss, wondering if those responsible are smirking from beyond or walking among us with blood-soaked hands hidden in plain sight. I'm Ken Shit reminding you, in this concrete jungle where dreams are made and sometimes blown to bits, stay vigilant, stay alive. 1845. In a historical pivot that reshaped the very map of North America, the year 1845 heralded the annexation of the Republic of Texas into the burgeoning United States. This colossal land, rich in both myth and mineral, became the 28th star on a flag already destined for greatness. As we reflect on this momentous event, one must ponder, will Texas's girth in geography and populace bolster the Union, or simply make it rather cumbersome to fit on a standard atlas? For more insights on this territorial titan's transition, we turn to Hardeman Pesto. Hardeman? Martin, I'm standing here in the heart of Texas, where the spirit of 1845 is alive and well. The locals are celebrating the anniversary of their statehood, with all the pomp and circumstance you'd expect from the Lone Star State. It's a historic moment, really, as they commemorate joining the Union as the 28th state. Pesto, it's good to see you've managed to locate Texas on the map. But tell me, what's the mood like on the ground regarding this historical event? Well, the mood is absolutely electric, Martin. People are dressed in period costumes. There are parades, barbecues, and I even saw a couple of cowboys riding through the streets. It's as if we've stepped back in time. Stepped back in time, indeed. But Pesto, how are the Texans reflecting on the broader implications of their statehood? After all, the annexation had significant consequences for the country. Oh, absolutely, Martin. I have with me here a guest who is an expert on Texan history. Professor, could you tell us how the annexation of Texas has shaped the United States? Well, the annexation certainly expanded the territory of the United States and set a precedent for future acquisitions. It also intensified the debate over slavery and contributed to the onset of the Mexican-American War. Pesto, ask the professor about the current political climate in Texas and how it relates to its historical roots. Right, Professor. Could you comment on the current political uh, weather in Texas? I believe you mean climate, Mr. Pesto. Texas has always had a strong sense of independence, which continues to influence its politics today. There's a significant emphasis on states' rights and a certain scepticism towards federal intervention. Pesto, do you even understand the significance of what the professor is saying? Of course, Martin. It's all about the weather. I mean the climate of opinions. Texas is big, not just in size, but in ideas too. And yet, Pesto, you seem to be rather small when it comes to grasping the details. Let's hope your understanding of history doesn't mirror your grasp of current affairs. Thank you, Professor, for your insights. And Pesto, try not to get lost in the past. We need you back in the present. 18 days stay teened and do to Tom. 
Turning back the pages of history to the year 1890, a grim chapter unfolds as we recount the Sioux Wars, a series of brutal conflicts that culminated in the Wounded Knee Massacre. The United States Army, in what stands as a dark testament to its might, extinguished the lives of countless Lakota Sioux, men, women, and children alike. This massacre not only marked the blood-stained beginning of the Ghost Dance War, but also etched itself into history as America's deadliest mass shooting. The Ghost Dance movement's spiritual uprising met with iron and lead, a stark reminder of a nation's troubled past. For more on this historical reflection, we now turn to Melody Wintergreen for an in-depth report. The winds of the Dakota Plains are howling, carrying with them the echoes of a tragedy that has stained the snow crimson. Today, in 1890, beneath the indifferent expanse of an azure sky, the United States Army unleashed a tempest of lead and sorrow upon the Lakota at Wounded Knee Creek. The air is thick with gunpowder and grief as hundreds of Lakota souls, warriors, mothers, and children alike are swept into the arms of eternity. This blood-drenched ballet marks not just a massacre, but the genesis of the Ghost Dance War. The Lakota, in a whirlwind of spiritual resurgence, embraced the Ghost Dance, a dance for life, for ancestors, for hope. But Uncle Sam's boys in blue saw not a dance, but a defiance that needed to be quelled. As boots crunch over sacred ground turned slaughterhouse, America grapples with its own reflection, a visage marred by violence against those who dared to dance with ghosts. And so it is here at Wounded Knee that history's pen writes a somber chapter in crimson ink. News Bang, the unseen oracle of the airwaves. A journey through time and space awaits with Polybeep, who will now unravel the tapestry of today's traffic tribulations and a historical transport tragedy. Polly? Good evening, my fellow time-travelling commuters. Polly Beep here with your traffic and travel, winding back the clock to a rather grim day in 1876. A railway bridge has collapsed in Ohio, causing quite the kerfuffle on the tracks. The Lakeshore and Michigan Southern Railway is experiencing severe delays due to an unfortunate plunge into the Ashtabula River. 92 souls have been lost and 64 others are nursing their wounds. It's a stark reminder to mind the gap and perhaps consider a sturdy carriage next time you travel. Now, let's scoot back to 2023, where things are slightly less disastrous but equally chaotic. The M25 appears to be playing hide-and-seek once again. Reports suggest it's taken a sabbatical somewhere near Kent. If you're planning on using it this evening, you might want to pack a compass and some breadcrumbs. Over on the A3, there's been an incident involving a gaggle of geese who've mistaken the road for a landing strip. Traffic is backed up all the way to Guildford as drivers honk in solidarity, though it seems to be encouraging the feathered fiends. And for those of you venturing near Stonehenge on the A303, beware. Local druids are staging a protest against modern transport by summoning an ancient fog. Visibility is down to a mystical minimum, so perhaps leave the car at home and float there on a magic carpet instead. 
That's all from me tonight. Keep your wheels turning and your spirits high. Unless you're on that bridge in Ohio, then maybe just keep swimming. News Bang, the unseen oracle of the airwaves. Leave 1913. Turning back the pages of time to the year 1913, we spotlight a titan of the silver screen, Cecil B. DeMille. A colossus in the pantheon of American cinema, DeMille's directorial gaze birthed 70 feature films, his first being The Squaw Man in 1914. This epic tale was not just a film, but a cornerstone laid in the burgeoning metropolis of Hollywood, now a byword for cinematic splendor. For more on this historical reel, we turn to our culture correspondent, Smithsonian Moss. Now at this point of the evening, we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us. Wahoo, culture vultures. It's your main squeeze, Smithsonian Moss, coming at you live and uncensored. And tonight we're throwing it back to the year 1913, when Hollywood was just a baby and Cecil B. DeMille was the daddy. So, picture this. Hollywood. A dusty old patch of Los Angeles where dreams are as plentiful as the oranges in California. And there's Cecil, a man with a vision so grand, it could only be matched by the size of his film reels. DeMille, the OG movie mogul, was cooking up something fierce in 1914. His first feature film, The Squaw Man, was shot right in the heart of Hollywood. And let me tell you, it was the talk of Tinseltown. This flick was like the first slice of avocado on the toast of American cinema. Now, DeMille wasn't just a director. He was a showman, a ringmaster of the silver screen circus. He was making movies that were more epic than your grandma's Sunday roast. And The Squaw Man? It wasn't just a film. It was a declaration that Hollywood was the new Eden of entertainment, the promised land of pizzas and panache. But let's not forget the real stars of the show. The horses. That's right. Those four-legged divas were the unsung heroes, galloping their way into cinematic history. And rumor has it, DeMille treated those horses better than most studio execs treat their interns. So, as we sit here in 2023, let's raise our overpriced lattes to Cecil B. DeMille, the man who turned Hollywood from a no-name neighborhood into the Olympus of the film world. And to think, it all started with the squaw man and a dream. And that's a wrap on this blast from the past. Keep it locked on Newsbang for more cheeky peeks into history's wardrobe malfunctions. Smithsonian Moss, out. The news bang, the oracle of the obvious unveiling the unseen. And just time for a final roundup of tomorrow's papers. The Times, Marcos wins by a mile, martial law looms. The Telegraph, Buffalo burned to ashes by Brits. The Guardian, Yorkist army decimated at Wakefield, Richard of York downed. Matsit C. Tiersen said Tixis. The Sun with aliens abduct Prime Minister's trousers. And the Daily Star, Elvis spotted riding Shergar in Tesco car park. By That's it for tonight. Remember, if you're driving home tonight, drive home. If you're walking home tonight, walk home. And if you're flying home tonight, well, you're showing off. Good night.
Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.